Well, I have a special message I want to give to you this morning, so I'd like to ask if you'll join me in standing, please. And I want to read some scriptures, and I'd like you just to follow with me. When you came in, you should have received a bulletin, and you should have received a handout in it. And I'm going to ask our members, by the way, I just feel like this in my heart as a pastor, I think I've got the best members in all the world, okay? And if you're a, if you're a Heritage Baptist Church member, uh, I want you to put on, your, put on your best behavior right now. And find someone who doesn't have a Bible and share your Bible with them. I just want them to follow their way. Maybe they're going to ask you a question. I want them to, if they go like this, I want you just to be able to help them understand. But I'm going to give you understanding to a great passage of Scripture today that when you leave today, it will help you just to grasp hold of something so important. And I want you to notice in the book of Hebrews, I believe this, this was a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote many years ago. And he wrote it to a, bunch, uh, a number of Jewish Christians who were struggling in their faith. And he had to help them understand some things. And if you read through this book, the first time reading it through, you'll, you'll find a little bit of challenge just trying to grasp what's going on. But you will find, as you start to read it and read it and read it, that there are words that he uses over and over again to help you grasp that. And we're going to see some of those words this morning, which actually today will be a springboard to a new series I'm starting entitled, So Great. And because we're going to see the words, So Great, in these verses here. And over the next several weeks, I'm going to have this wonderful series that I'll be, be preaching and teaching on entitled So Great. And I, I don't want you to miss this because the phrase so great, as I'll define a little bit later, is something we all use as an adjective to describe something that's really wonderful to us. So notice in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1, I'm going to read very slowly. I'll try to go as slow as I can to help you understand it today and, and what, what it's saying here. Notice chapter 2, verse 1, the book of Hebrews. Say amen if you're there. Amen. Therefore, now when you see therefore... He's, 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 he's branching out from what he said before. So he said something for, before that. So he's saying, therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. Now, you might want to mark in your margin there, the word slip also means to drift away. Now, if you've ever been caught in a current and have drifted away, that's not a good feeling. Okay. Uh, you have to watch those currents out there. And he's saying here, we need, get, we need to give the earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip or drift away. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, and don't get nervous, I'll explain that to you. Notice verse 3. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and that is the Lord Jesus Christ and was confirmed to us by them that heard him I'd like you to read verse 3 with me out loud would you read that together with me so we can make sure we're all awake here together all together on one number one how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him. I want you to notice three powerful words in verse 3. And if you've never underlined it, please underline it this morning. The Apostle Paul spoke about so great salvation. So great salvation. I'm going to explain to you what does he mean by so great salvation, why this is so important, why it's so great. And when you leave today, you're going to say, I'm glad I'm a partaker 
of so great salvation. Father, we're thankful today that we can call you our Heavenly Father. I thank you that you're a Father of lights. You're the God who's love. You're the God who's light. You're the God who's life. You're the God who loves us, and you're the God of all salvation. Please speak to us in a very tender, a very intimate, a very special way today for the members, our regular attendees, and our guests and visitors today. Thank you for those who woke up this morning and set aside this morning to honor the requests of someone who befriended them to be here today. We do not take that lightly. I don't want to waste anybody's time here today, Lord. I want to make sure that everyone here today senses an experience of worship that they've never had before and experience today that you're a God in heaven who's concerned about the most minutest details of our life. You're concerned about our prayers and our concerns. And certainly with a group as big as here today at church, there are some who here are, are just carrying some heavy burdens and heavy concerns and grieving the loss of a loved one, suffering through a disease or some treatments they're going through, or having to have dealing with setbacks in their lives. Whatever it may be today, God, you know about it. And I'm praying this morning that you'd speak to our hearts and give comfort, give encouragement. But I pray the most important thing today is that for anyone here today who does not know your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, as their personal Savior, to know this great salvation, that before they leave today, they would be the possessor, the owner, the, grant, the guarantor, of the, they would be given today the gift of eternal life through your son, Jesus Christ. Would you use me today to be an encouragement to feed the souls and the spiritual lives of the people here? Well, thank you for this now, Lord, in Jesus' name. And all of God's people say, amen. You may be seated. So great. When you hear the phrase, so great, what does that bring to your mind? I think of a climber who has made his way, he is trained, he's made his way to climb up the Himalayas and the highest mountain in all the world, Mount Everest. And standing there on the peak of Mount Everest, that man is standing there and he looks down below him and he thinks about that air which has been thin, the difficulty he had in ascending those heights, watching as others could not make it, getting to that and with this great sense of exhilaration saying, what a great sight. What a great view. And in his heart and mind, he says, this is so great. I think about a sun, a, a morning, a, the mornings, the dawning of the mornings out in, uh, when you're at a Pacific island, like on one of the islands of uh, Hawaii or one of the Pacific islands, and getting up early in the morning and watching the sunrise on the horizon. To me, there's just something spectacular about a sunrise that I enjoy. And there at 5.30, 6 o'clock in the morning, depending what time of the year it is, watching the sunrise the, and the ocean water on the beaches and the sereneness of it and the beautiful blue skies and the blueness of the waters and listening to the waves and watching the sun go up and listening to the birds. And you look at that and beholding all that wonderfulness of nature and saying, this is so great. I think of some of the runners yesterday who are at a 5K event and some who are a little bit more in, in, in shape, who can do more arduous and difficult events. When they've completed that event, maybe it's a 5K, maybe it's a 10K, maybe it's a marathon. When they get to that finish line, they arrive there and they're puffing and huffing, but there's a sense of exhilaration. They say, it's so great that I was able to finish it. I think about a, I think about a high school student who has worked hard for 12 years and they've gotten the grades and they've done the community service and they've done all those things 
and they get to that point where now they've graduated, they've gotten letters, they've been accepted by prestigious colleges, and they walk that, they walk to, the, to receive their degree, they get that, that, that high school diploma, and they're thinking as they get it, they, 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 they throw the tasks on the other side, and they think it's so great that I was able to do that. I think of some people who hit their, they hit those milestones in their life when they retain 70 years of age and 75 years of age and 80 years of age and 85 years of age and 90 years of age and maybe even they can get to the century mark of 100 and they attain that and when they get to that age they arrive there and the party's there and people are celebrating the event and celebrating that magic moment for them and that person says it's so great that I was able to live 70 years of age it's so great that I'm 80 years of age it's so great that I, got, I have another day to live listen we think about that we can think of all all the scenarios and all the adjectives that describe it but I want to tell you this morning you may be experiencing right now something very great in your life but I want to tell you this morning salvation is so great salvation is so wonderful because salvation is God's gift to every man woman and child salvation is go so great the Apostle Paul wrote in Hebrews chapter 2 verse 3 how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation. I want to help you understand what does salvation mean. I want to help you understand why salvation is so special. I want to help you understand why salvation is so great. Would you notice, number one, the concept about salvation? The concept about salvation. What do we mean by salvation? Why is it when we come to a Baptist church, they make a big deal about salvation? Why is salvation in the Bible? For instance, if you take your Bible, your English King James Version Bible, the word salvation is found 158 times in the Bible. Now, when something's mentioned more than once, and certainly 158 times, it's got to be a very important word, amen? It's got to be something special to us. And 158 times, the word salvation is found in the Bible. 115 of those times was in the Old Testament because the origination and the idea of salvation is unfolding in the Old Testament. We get to the New Testament, and the word salvation is found another 43 times. 115 times in the Old Testament, Another, another 43 times in the New Testament. Now what does salvation mean? Salvation means this. Salvation is the means of escape from a dangerous and perilous plight. It is the means of escape from a dangerous and perilous circumstance or, fly, or, fly, or plight. Simply summarized, salvation means to be saved from something very bad. Salvation means to be saved from something very bad. In Christian circles, in Baptist circles, we will use interchangeably with the word salvation, the word saved. The word saved is important if you're, if you're here today because being saved means being saved from the wrath of God. It means being saved from spending eternity in hell. It means being saved from having your sins judged upon you. Listen today, the greatest word you want to add to your vocabulary if it's not part of it right now, is the word save and the word salvation. Now, when we think about salvation, we must notice its starting point. Where did salvation come from? How did it originate? Well, number one, what you notice in this concept, there's an author behind salvation, and that author is God himself. The Bible says God is the God of salvation. Jesus is called the author and the finisher of our faith. Would you notice with me, if you have your Bible open, in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1, it says this, Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus. 
God and Jesus are one and the same. Jesus Christ is the, is the author of salvation. God is the author of salvation. In chapter 2 of Hebrews, go back to Hebrews chapter 2 and notice in verse 10. In chapter 2 verse 10, he's called the captain of our salvation. Basically, the word captain means the chief. It means the author, the originator. The whole concept, the idea of salvation originated with God. It's, a great, it's not just a good idea, it's a God idea. God originated the concept of salvation. Notice in Hebrews 2.10, For it became him for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, and bringing many sons to glory. Now what that means is God, who, who, is, who is creator, and God who brings about all things, wants everyone to go to heaven. It says in bringing about many sons to glory, God wants everyone to go to heaven. I want to help you this morning. God wants you to go to heaven. God wants you to know that heaven's a free gift. And so he says here, For it became him for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, and bringing many sons into glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. Jesus Christ is the captain of our salvation. You see, the author of salvation is God because God loves us. You heard our choir beautifully sing about the love of God. You beautifully heard the children's choir sing about the love of God. And that's important because God loves you. God's authorship, God's origination of salvation is nestled in one foundation, and that is that God loves you. Listen to this. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. God loves you. He's the author of salvation. He wants you to know that salvation is His free gift He offers you. Now, salvation has an author, but I want you to think with me about this. Salvation has an availability. Did you know God's will for every life is that every man would be saved? and to come to the knowledge of the truth. God wants every man and woman and child to receive His gift of salvation. Did you know that God says in His Word, He's not willing that any should perish? He's not willing that any should spend eternity in hell, but that all should come to repentance? Did you know in that verse I just quoted, John 3, 16, it says, For God so loved all the world. For God so loved the world. It didn't say God loved part of the world. It didn't say that God had a preference for a different part of the world. Listen, it doesn't matter where, what part of the world is. God loves everybody in this world. God, God as far as God's concerned, he, God doesn't have to deal with racial issues. And God doesn't have to deal with cultural issues. And God doesn't have to deal with languages. Because God, He made all of us. And God loves you. Amen. He loves you and He loves me. And salvation is available to all who believe. So the concept basically is this. Salvation is being saved from a very bad circumstance, being saved from something very terrible. God wants all men to be saved. We see the concept in salvation. Notice quickly, number two, what you notice as we read our scripture today, there is the, another reason why salvation is so great is because of the condition for salvation. Now, salvation is so great because of its concept, but salvation is also so great because of a condition. Now, what do we mean by condition? Condition is talking about you and me. And I want you to go back to Hebrews chapter 2. Would you notice verse 2? And the writer of Hebrews said in chapter 2 verse 2, For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and then he makes this phrase, And every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward. Now condition is talking about why salvation is necessary. Condition is talking about your condition spiritually and my condition spiritually. Our condition is that we are born in this world with a sinful nature. The Bible says our mothers conceived us in sin. 
The Bible tells us by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin so that all have sinned. So listen to me this morning. We're all born with a sinful nature. All of us have the propensity to lie. All of us have the propensity to steal. All of us have the propensity to be covetous and probably lustful and greedy. And all of us may have the propensity to be hateful. And all of us could have the propensity of just sinning against God and realizing that we have sinned. Uh, coming into church today, we've sinned. And when we leave church today, we still will sin. We all have a sinful nature. The Bible says this in Romans chapter 3, verse 10. There is none righteous. No, not one. Now, the word righteous is not a word we use much in our English vocabulary, but throughout the Bible, you find this word mentioned. And sometimes we read the word righteous, and it, it's somewhat, to be honest with you, I think it's intimidating to a lot of people. I think it's very scary to a lot of people because you read, what does the word righteous mean? And I tell our Bible classes and our teachers and our church this, I say the word righteous, if you want to understand it, basically means to be just like God. To be righteous means to have the same nature as God. To be righteous is to be on a, be on a favorable platform with God. But the Bible says there's none righteous, no, not one. So that all means this. We all come short of the glory of God. The Bible says for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now I use this example all week long here. I just used it in one of our growth groups today. And I'll use this example here too. The other day I wanted to get my routine physical exam. And uh, the only part I dread about the routine physical exam is when they, when they take your weight and they measure you. And uh, I've been on this thing to try to lose some weight to get my cholesterol down a little bit more. So I've been working a little bit harder to get that LDL down. And, but the part I hate is this, 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 when they check your growth because I started out in high school when I graduated from high school it was about 5'10 and a half inches and since that time they've been telling me every time I go in for routine physical I'm shrinking believe it or not I'm the incredible shrinking pastor I just keep on shrinking there okay and so I, I, so I, I got there and they said because the nurse said okay Mr. Fawn put your, put your back against the wall so this time I said okay I'm going to get my head up real straight because I think last time was a little bit lower I got my head up straight and when I was younger I had a little more hair so they probably just measured right on top of my hair I don't have as much hair today as I did back 20-30 years ago so I put my back against it, and I'm waiting for them. They told me my height, and I shrunk again. <laughs> that wasn't a good feeling. Doctor came in. They, they, my, my regular doctor I had for 20 years. He retired last year, and, and I've been trying to, find, trying to find a new doctor. And so they, he transitioned me. I said, hey, I said, doctor, I said, who, who, listen, okay. I said, maybe you're not going to tell me this, but who are you going to go? You're retiring. I mean, you're retiring too early as it is, but who are you going? He said, well, I'm going to go to my associate, the older doctor here. I said, is he going to stick around? And he said, yeah, I think he'll stick around. Well, he told me he's going to retire this year too, okay? And, but anyway, I go to him, and he walks in. The doctor walks in. And he's, just a, he's just a nice guy. And he says, how are you doing? I said, not so good. He said, why? I said, I found out I shrunk again. He said, stand in line, walk into my group there today, okay? But uh, when you think about it, okay, now, whatever your height is, whatever your height is, you're not going to grow anymore. Now, you may grow this way, <laughs> but you're not going to grow this way. Okay? Now you can sit on your tippy toes and get up, but you're not going to grow this way. Help me understand what I'm saying. Say amen. Okay? You're going to grow this way, but you're not going to grow this way. And imagine with me, with the NBA basketball season starting right now, that uh, you know, we're mesmerized by these new players and their heights. And back in the day when I was a kid, I mean, Will Chamberlain was the only seven-footer that was around back in the day. And then Kareem Abdul-Jabbar came along and you know, I, I, I followed him when he was at UCLA back in the 60s there, when, uh, he was, when he led the UCLA Bruins to wins, and he's the next seven-footer. But nowadays, you got just almost every team's got a seven-footer there, okay? Uh, JaVale McGee played for the Warriors, and he was a seven-footer, okay? Now, I want you to imagine with me, and I love basketball, but I can't play like I did back in my teens. But I imagine, imagine me, if I just decided I wanted to be part of an NBA team, and they said, okay, Mr. Fawn, that's great, but uh, looking at you compared to JaVale McGee, you come pretty short of that. I mean, he's a seven-footer up to here, and I'm down to here. Now, 
shall work on it. Well, I can work on it, but I, I, listen, I'm right here. I can work on it, but there's nothing I'm going to do that's going to add to that that's going to get me hired to catch up with JaVale McGee. JaVale McGee is where he's at, and Alan Fong is where he's at. There's nothing I can do to add to my height. Can you understand what I'm saying? You and I are so unrighteous. There's nothing we can do to get up to where God's at. Right? That's what the Bible says. Now, I know a lot of good people. But as good as they are, they don't have enough good to get up to here. It's not going to happen. Our condition, our spiritual condition, God is here. And that's why the Apostle Paul, when he wrote Romans 3.23, all have sinned and we've come short of the glory of God. The glory of God is who he is. The glory of God, we call it His holiness. We don't understand holiness because we live in a world of sin. We look on the news and we read about children being left in their cars. Read about marriage disasters. We read about crimes and all kinds of things and credit card fraud. And we read about thefts and all of these things happening around here. I mean, just, you know, you read these things and sometimes you can get pretty discouraged if you just dwell on that a little bit there. You read, you go home, and, and some of you, you live in a neighborhood, you're probably part of a next-door group, and everybody shares on next-door. Oh, did you know so-and-so got burglarized, and this happened here, and the police showed up here, and there was a 911 incident. And, you know, you read these things, and say, man, what's going on with our neighborhood here? The truth of the matter, there's sin in the world. And sin doesn't bring the best out of people. Sin brings the worst out of people. Did you ever think about that? Sin brings the worst out of people. And because all of us are not righteous, we've come short of the glory of God. That's your condition. So notice what he says here. Look back at Hebrews 2, 2, 2. The Apostle Paul, writing this, describes our sin. He goes a little bit further by giving us words that describe the meaning of sin. He uses the word transgression. Now, transgression basically is a word that means to cross a forbidden line. Now, you have boundary lines where you, where you live. Okay? That's why when you sell your home or buy a home, you want a title report. You want to know exactly where the lines are, right? And if somebody crosses that line, that's trespassing, okay? The word transgression means to cross a forbidden line. We get our word trespass from that. The word trespass is used in the Bible to describe sin. And so the Apostle Paul is saying, for every transgression... Now listen, the word sin means we've missed a mark. If you've ever gone target shooting, if you've ever done archery, you've ever tried to throw a dart at a board, okay, any of those kind of things, when you don't hit the bullseye, you've missed a mark. And the Bible says spiritually, we've missed a mark. We've missed it. We've crossed the forbidden line. And then he uses the word disobedience. Look at verse 2. And disobedience means just what it is. It's breaking a command. It's breaking a law. Did you know disobedience is an act of self-will? It's an act of defiance. It's rebellion. Hey, these children, how many enjoyed those children that were singing up here today? Weren't they a blessing? But if you're the mother and father, you know about that kid, don't you? You know the real kid up there, okay? And they put on their nice clothes, and they got a nice smile, but I'm watching these kids, and the ones who I know their parents, I can almost imagine, I wonder what that child's going to do this afternoon, you know? And you look at those kids, and they look like they're angels. Let me tell you, they're sinners too. No, Mommy. No, Daddy. Or they give you that look, and you know, that, pout, that poochie look there, and you know we're, we're going down the wrong way when they give you that poochie look there, right? You know? And let me tell you something. The sin nature is all because there's defiance and there's rebellion. And he says every transgression 
and disobedience. I don't want to be the bearer of bad news, but we have a bad condition. It's a really bad condition. We're all sinners. But there's something worse than that. There's the description of sin. Would you notice there's a penalty for sin? Would you notice the rest of that verse? For every transgression and disobedience, notice what he says here, received a just recompense of reward. Now, we don't use the word recompense that much, and honestly, it can be very confusing. Let me tell you what he means here. Let me tell you what he means. You want to write this down. Every transgression and disobedience has a payback time. That's what he's saying. It has a payback time, okay? There's judgment coming. That's what he's saying there. Okay, every transgression and disobedience will be judged. Every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense reward. Now, please understand something this morning. God is infinite. God is mighty. God is eternal. God is love. How many thankful God is love? Amen? But God is also a God who's a judge. He's a righteous God. And you have to understand something, okay? The word just describes God that he's fair. Now, he may not, you may not feel like if you've gone through a tragedy, you may not feel like God is fair. But I'm going to tell you this morning, God is fair. You know why? Because the rain comes on the just and the unjust. All of us, listen to me now, all of us are going to experience failure and heartache in our life. And when it happens, when it's your turn, it's tough. And the bottom falls out. But can I tell you, there were millions of other people that happened to you before it happened to you. And after you, there'll be millions of other people that's going to happen because that's our lot in life. And so he's saying here, when it comes to sin, when it comes to our condition, God has to judge our sin. God has to punish sin. Listen to what the Bible says, Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death. As a pastor, I enjoy pastoring. I enjoy preaching. I enjoy ministering. I really enjoy doing weddings. We've had four of them back to back, four of them in the last couple months here. And I also enjoy, but with trepidation, going away services when people have passed away. Just trying to, nur to nurture and, and to cherish your hearts. At that tender moment, listen to me this morning, at that tender moment, the survivors of that loved one are thinking in their mind, what a loss. Because when death occurs, the passing of a loved one, the hardest part about it is the separation. That we're not going to be with them anymore in this life. And we're not going to see them anymore. And it's like you see where they sat at their dinner table, but that seat will be empty. And you see that favorite chair that dad sat on, but the chair is going to be empty. And you think about all the things that you did and the memories you had together, going fishing together and walking together and vacation together. Th those things are all but memories. And when you come to a service like that, the separation, especially at those, at those final moments, is very strong and very powerful and very overwhelming. In some cases, so overwhelming that some people who get so grief-stricken, they just they faint or they're just beside themselves because the grief has overtaken them. And I want you to understand something. When the Bible says that the wages or the payback or the payment or the judgment for sin is death, that means it's inevitable. All of us will leave this life and will physically pass this life. But the word death is more stronger than just physical part departure. The word death also means a spiritual departure. The most important part about every one of us here in this room is the soul that God has given to you. That is the real you. 
That is the humor inside you. That is the ups and downs. That's the real you. That's how you make your decision. The real you is not this shell of a body. The real you is your soul. Your soul will live on. And your soul is so important. The Lord Jesus Christ, with tears in his eyes, he addressed a large group of Jews by the Sea of Galilee, and he told them this, What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet loses his own soul? God loves our soul because that's what goes on to eternity. That's what lives on. And one day, if you're saved, if you get saved today, your, your body will be, will be transformed. You'll have a glorified body, and your body will be reunited with your soul. But that will not happen if you don't get saved. So he talks about the judgment. And what is that judgment? Well, separation from God. It just recompense. A just recompense of a reward. In other words, the punishment of God is if we lead this life with our sins unforgiven, with our sins not washed away. We leave this life without knowing for certain that we're saved. We will spend all of eternity separated from the God who loves us and wants us to go to heaven. You see, salvation is so great because of our condition. But thirdly, notice, salvation is so great because of a cost. There's the concept. There's the condition. But I want you to think about the cost. Salvation, to have your sins forgiven, to have your sins washed away, to be certain this morning that you're saved, involved a very expensive cost. And the expensive cost was that instead of you and me having to be punished for our sins, God took someone who was sinless who had no sin, the perfect man, to take your place and my place, and he punished him for our sins. And that person was his son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Look at Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 9, would you please? But we see Jesus, who is made a little lower than the angels, for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. I want you to understand something this morning. Jesus Christ is God who is manifest in the flesh. He became a man, just like me, but without sin. When he left his glory in heaven, he did not divest himself from his glory. He brought his glory with him. But he, came like, but he became like us and humbled himself. Because the Bible says... In, in, in essence, in terms of physical essence, he made himself lower than the angels, if you can imagine that. He stepped down in terms of his, his, his physical essence and became lower than the angels. He humbled himself. Now, the hardest thing for a human being to do, especially for adults, is to humble ourselves. Because, you know, we have a sense of pride in us, and we don't want to admit that we're wrong. We don't want to admit that there's something not right with us. We don't want to acknowledge something that may be out of pride, whatever it may be. But Jesus, who is God of gods and Lord of lords, he humbled himself and made himself lower than the angels by taking on the form of man. But the Bible says he suffered for you and I. The suffering of Jesus Christ, who's went on that, on that, that third year of his ministry, at the age of 33, when it was his time that Jesus gave himself over 
to the hands of cruel Roman men. And those cruel Roman men and a kangaroo court trial that he was tried under, that they tried to find him guilty of crimes he did not commit because everything they said he did wrong, he did not do that wrong. He committed no crimes. He did, was not blasphemous to God. These unbelieving Jews and these unbelieving Romans, they were filled with hatred and such a resentment towards him. They took our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, and they beat him and they pummeled him and they beat him to shreds. And if I could go into the scripture of all that he went through, it's a very horrific moment that he went through. And then to top it all off, the culmination of all that was Jesus was crucified on the cross. Being crucified on the cross, he hung there beaten and in shame and blood flowing from his hands and blood flowing from his, from his feet. And I want you to understand, when we think about blood, you and I think about a prick on our finger and giving blood for a blood test. We think about a, blood, about a prick there that we put a band-aid on. I want you to understand that they took these seven-inch spikes and they pierced his hands and they pierced his feet. I want you to understand that the Roman cat of nine tails was a very, very feared instrument of punishment. Then it was lashed on the back of the individual. It would tear their back to shreds. And if the one who was punishing him was one who was sadistic, and murderous and hateful when they afflicted that person with that cat of nine tails. Their goal would be to inflict it such a way that those nine leather strips would have pieces of glass and pieces of marble and pieces of wrong balls upon them. And as they beat the back of the individual 40 times, that as they beat them and pummeled them, it would rip the back of the person to shreds. In some cases, historians have told us that some who, were, who even survived that ordeal of 40 stripes, that they would, they would get up with their back bent over and literally their organs would be exposed from such punishment and there would be the shedding of the blood and then there would be the fact that he was crucified on the cross and hung there for over six hours six agonizing, grueling, terrible, horrific hours and it wasn't the loss of blood that killed the individual because over time as they hung on the cross what, what killed the individual was asphyxiation was all the pressure of their body pressing down on their lungs and all the water that would accumulate inside of them and they would just develop this pneumonia inside of their lungs and the accumulation of all the fluid and that would kill most victims of a crucifixion they would just be they would just die of asphyxiation with that I want you to understand without being grossing you out Jesus Christ received the punishment that Alan Fong and everyone here should be receiving for our sins but instead God in his love took his son Jesus Christ and punished him for you and I. Look at it again in Hebrews 2.9. He became, the Bible says he tasted death for every man. He was punished and he died on the cross for our sins. He tasted, he experienced, he consumed, he experienced everything about death. He died for you and I. I've been at the bedside of many who've passed this life. Hospice care, hospitals, they try to do the best they can to provide mercy and as they call it, comfort care in those declining moments. But what Jesus Christ went through, there was no comfort care. Your sins and my sins were judged on him. Look at chapter 1. In verse 3, it says that Jesus Christ by himself purged our sins. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 and 3 tells us that he endured the cross. He despised the shame. He endured such contradiction of sinners. The cost for salvation means 
Someone who was a perfect substitute took your place and mine for the punishment of our sins. And today, with humility and a thankful heart, I want to tell you that person who suffered for you and I was none other than God's Son, Jesus Christ. He tasted death for every man. There's a cost involved. It wasn't money. It wasn't exchange of property. It was the giving of his life. In John chapter 15, verse 13, Jesus, as he was in an upper room and giving a final talk to his disciples, he told them this. He says, greater love has no man than this, than that a man should lay down his life for his friends. He says, greater love has no man than this, than a man should lay down his life for his friends. Romans 5, 8 tells us, but God commendeth or proved his love for us, and that while we were yet sinners... Christ died for us. Look at those words on the screen. God showed and proved his love for you and I. Christ, even though we're sinners who should be judged for our sins, Christ took our place. Christ died for you and I. Salvation is free, but salvation is not cheap. Salvation was costly. Christ gave his life so that you could go to heaven. Why is it so great? Because Jesus died for your sins and mine. Isn't that wonderful? He took your place and mine. He took your place. The righteous for the unrighteous. That he might bring us to God. That's what Jesus did. Salvation is so great because of its concept. Salvation is so great because of our condition. Salvation is so great because of the cost. Would you notice before I'm done. Would you notice salvation is so great because there's a consequence. Please listen to this part. Jesus died for your sins so you can go to heaven. We must exercise faith. We must believe in our heart and accept the fact that we are sinners who need to be saved. Christ took our place. But I want to tell you some good news. He's not in that grave rotting. He rose again the third day. He rose again from the dead. And he lives in heaven. And even right now, while this service is going on, God who knows everything, Jesus, who's called our great intercessor, he prays for us. He's praying for this service right now. He's praying for you. He knows every one of us by name. He's praying for you right now that you do not neglect this great salvation. Look at Hebrews 2, 3 again. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? How shall we escape? How will we escape the judgment of God? How will we escape the fires of hell if we neglect, if we neglect, if we say no? So let me, let me give you some things to think about this morning before we get closing. Can we escape through good works? And I will tell you unequivocally, no. You cannot escape through good works. No matter how good you are, as I said before, by using the analogy of our height, I'm, this is where we're at in good works. There's not enough good works that will get us to God. Good works can't save us. Good works are impossible. Good works are good, but they're not good enough to get us to God. They're not good enough to save us from our sins. Listen to what the Bible says. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, For by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourself, not of works. It is the gift of God, lest any man should boast. Salvation is so great because it's the gift of God. It's not of works. Please understand. I'm, I'm looking in the face of a lot of hardworking people. 
A lot of industrious people, a lot of successful people. I'm looking at the face of people who are achievers and accomplishers. They've accomplished great things. And in your own humility, you probably have accomplished more than you'll tell anybody outside of your own family. But I want to tell you something this morning. No matter how great our accomplishments, we cannot do enough to save our souls. Our, our capability is limited. Good works cannot save us. Look again, Titus chapter 3, verse 5 in your notes. In Titus 3, 5, would you read these words on the screen? Not by works of righteousness which we have done. In other words, not by our good works. But according to His mercy, He saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. Now salvation, listen to this. Salvation is not about what I do. Salvation is about what He's already done. Salvation is about what God did for me through Jesus Christ. Look at some of the terms that he uses that I can try to simplify. Salvation is the gift of God. It's not of works. Salvation is according to God's mercy. You know what? When, you are in, when you're in legal trouble and you want the court to rule on your behalf, you want mercy. If you are guilty of a felony and all the evidence is against you, but along the way you know you messed up, and you are repenting in your heart, and you want, you want clemency, you want mercy of the judge. More than anything else, you don't want to spend your time rotting the rest of your life in jail, or even worse, maybe cap, for a capital crime, being ca, be, be, going through a, a, a capital punishment. You want the mercy of the court. Listen, the Bible says salvation is by the, according to God's mercy. Now, God is a God of love, but He's a God who judges. But in His mercy, He wants you to go to heaven. Notice, according to His mercy, He saved us. And then it says this, by the washing regeneration. Now, what does that mean? Well, the word regeneration is our term being born again. Now, here's what happens. When you get saved, and you receive God's gift of salvation, your sins are washed away. They're washed away. They're under the blood of Jesus Christ. That's why he had to shed his blood. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission. There's no parting away. There's no pardoning of our sins. And notice again, he says salvation involves being born into God's family. And notice, it's the renewing of the Holy Ghost. Salvation is the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit of God. Hey, listen to me. God is the author of salvation. Jesus Christ is the agent of salvation who died for our sins. The Holy Spirit is the agent involved. When you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ to save you, He's the one that saves you. Pastor Fong can't save you. A member of Heritage Baptist Church can't save you. No other religious clergy can save you. Only God can save you from your sins. And right there, He wants to save you from your sins. Good works can't save us. Here's another question Pat, people ask. Can we escape by being baptized and joining a church? And the answer is no. Now I want you to get baptized after you get saved. And I want you to join the church. But let me tell you what. Doing that is putting the cart before the horse. Amen. It will not save you. And listen to what the Bible says about that. In John chapter 14 verse 6. Jesus said, saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Amen. No man cometh to the Father Amen. but by me. Good works cannot save us. Being baptized and joining a church cannot save us. That's not salvation. Those are works. And it doesn't matter. You could be a member of anywhere else. Memberships in any organization will not save you from your sins. But let me give you another tough one. Sometimes people say, well, what about good works? What about baptism and church membership? Well, let me give you another hard one. People sometimes say this. Well, how about if I wait? How about if I put it off? I'm healthy right now. How about I put it off? And the Bible tells us this is the day of salvation. 
This is the accepted time. And so let's say you're somebody today, you believe everything I'm saying to you, but you say, I want to put it off. I want to, I want to find a more convenient time, as one, one, one political leader told the Apostle Paul. I want to put it off. I want to wait. Let me tell you something today. Putting it off is the most dangerous proposition you can entertain in your mind right now. Because the next great event on the prophetic biblical calendar is the coming of Jesus Christ for everyone who's saved. Now, we don't know when that's going to happen. We don't know when that's going to happen. No one can put a date on it. All these false prophets say, well, Jesus is coming again on this day. They were proven wrong. Because Jesus said, I will come like a thief in the night. You cannot tell. You don't know when he's going to come. It can come any moment. He could come 30 seconds. We don't know. It could be 30 years from now. The apostle Paul and Peter and all those guys, they thought he was going to come during their time, the first century. We don't know, but he's going to come again. Let me tell you something. If you put it off, and you put it off, you put it off, because you say I have a more convenient time. Let me tell you what's going to happen. When Jesus comes, for those of us who are saved, we're going to be snatched out. We're going to be taken up. And when that happens, the Holy Spirit is removed out of this world. He will have a limited ministry in this world. And the political situation, and all this is in the Bible, the political situation in the world, and the events that will unfold, the Bible says, Men will believe a lie, a deception. Not about like, I don't know about you, I don't like being lied to, and I don't like being fooled. Amen? Okay? But there will be a lie and deception that the people of the world will believe. It will be in every language. It will be made known in every culture. And everyone's going to know they're going to believe this lie. And what's going to happen if you don't believe on Christ today and get saved? And that event should happen where Jesus comes for the saved and you're left behind. Your, your wife might be saved. She's going to go up. You'll be left behind. Your husband might be saved, but, you, but your wife might be left. I mean, whatever it may be, your children might be saved, but you get left behind. Listen, you will believe that lie. And the Bible tells us in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 12, you will not get saved during that time. Because God will give you over to what's called a reprobate mind. A reprobate mind is when you're so, you're just, you're just so decided in yourself that you're going to reject the gift of salvation. And you're going to be in a place where you, don't, where you feel like you can do it your way. You're going to be given over. You will not get saved during that time. You'll know you need to get saved, but you'll convince yourself in your mind because you believe that lie that, that you have more time. And you will not get saved during that time because you will believe the deceivable lie that will be in the world at that time. You say, that sounds like a fairy tale. No, that's all in the Bible. I could walk you through it. I just don't have time right now. And to put it off would be the most costly proposition you ever left behind. That's why the writer said, how shall we escape even we neglect so great salvation? Here it is. It's offered to you. Jesus Christ paid the debt. It's yours for the taking. You can either receive it or you will reject it. And as we close, we look at this morning, salvation is so great, not only because of the concept, not only because of our condition, not only because of the cost, not only because of the consequence. If you reject it, there's a serious consequence, but because it's compelling. And it's compelling because the Bible puts it this way, how should we escape if we neglect so great salvation. It's so great. 
Your sin debt has been paid in full. And when I say sin debt is paid in full, the debt we owe in sin, we cannot pay off. But when Jesus shed his blood and he paid the price for us, he cried out on the cross, it is finished. And when he did that, the sin debt is paid in full. And guess what? You owe a zero balance when you take it as, your, as, your, as God's gift of salvation. You don't owe God anything. You've accepted it. Your sins are washed away. Why is this so compelling? Well, let me tell you what happens. When you accept Jesus Christ by faith today as your Savior, number one, heaven's your home. Number two, your sins are forgiven. Number three, God looks at you just as if you never sinned. If you're a criminal and you're at the mercy of the court, you love the word expunge. Expunge means your record is made clear. He expunges your record. The, word, the Bible uses a more stronger word. The Bible uses the word justified. Justified means he looks at you and I as if we never sinned. You say, well, Pastor Fong, you said earlier we're still sinners. What if I sin in the future? The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. Past present and future. God knows we're going to sin, but we can come to God as his children and receive forgiveness of our sins. You get, heaven becomes your home. Listen, your sins are washed away. You receive God's forgiveness in all your sins. You become a son of God. Listen, you become part of God's wonderful family. Because the Bible says, to as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. I read the story a tragic story that happened on March 6, 1881, off the coastline of Scotland. A barge that had maybe eight or nine fishermen on it went out. And they weren't very far away from a distance, but from a water standpoint, it was far enough. And back in those days, they didn't have the weather capabilities of predicting what was going to happen for their own safety. And on that day, a sudden storm came in off that coastline. And that barge, which did not have good anchors, was at risk of being pummeled into the rocks. Fishermen from shore saw this barge that was in trouble. And they saw it and they said, well, you know, before the storm gets really bad, we've got we've to figure a way to get, to get some lines to those men so those men can make their way. There's no way the barge is going to come in. It's just stuck out there, and we don't know if, it's going to, if, the, if the tide's going to take it further out. And so they tried the best they could. They dropped some anchors, but the anchors were not sufficient enough because of this, the storm. And the fishermen on shore concocted this idea. They said, well, we've got a wheelbarrow here, a, a wheelbarrow. And they said, let's get this barrel... And uh, let's, let's, take, let's, let's put the top on it, make sure it's all corked up. We'll tie a line to it. We'll get, we'll get, we'll get some boats out there to get it there. And they'll, they'll tie the line, they'll extend the line from the barge all the way to the shoreline to the dock with this, with this barrel. Not wheelbarrow, but this barrel, this, this large barrel. And they said, we'll get this barrel to them. And as soon as it gets to, they get to that site, that barrel will be the device by which one man at a time can get inside, put the top over him, so that when the waves hit it, he doesn't get toppled over. And then they'll just slowly, they'll just slowly get that, that, that barrel over to him. They concoct this idea. And so they, 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 with much danger, they got this barrel and the rope's all done there and there. And so they got it going and, and, the, and the ship was just, the, the barge is going up and down in the water. It's just a very tumultuous storm. And the first man just bravely got into that, that barrel and somehow the barrel made, they got the barrel over to him, and it just seemed like forever, just what minutes just seemed like forever. The barrel got over to the other side to the dock, and when he got there, it was just that sound of knowing the, that the barrel had made it. There was this great relief this man had. They, they took the top off and got him out there, and of course, there were waves that were hitting and so forth, but the man got there safely. The second man got out there, but as soon as he was about to go there, as the barrel was just making its way back, there was just this, 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 this gust of wind, and these waves that hit the barge 
And the barge somehow turned around because it wasn't anchored carefully. It turned around and it started moving towards the rocks. And as it started moving towards the rock, it actually hit some rocks along the way. And the ropes that were extended, as you can imagine, the ropes were straight across. The ropes started to twist and turn a little bit and it got all messed up. And the second man, because he saw the barrel had not made it, he got scared. And he jumped out on the line thinking, well, I could do it hand over hand. And he got out and he, and he grabbed the line. He was hanging over from where the, the, the barge was, 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 was at and, and below the water. And he tried to go hand over hand. He barely went over five or six times when a, when a big wave hit him. And the wave that hit him knocked into the water. And the water was so tumultuous, so bad. And they're far away from the shore that the waves and everything, the current, it swept him out. And the captain and all those men on that barge were looking and they didn't have life preservers. They weren't sophisticated like we are today about those things. Now watch that man go under. He never came back up again. Within seconds, the barge, another wave hit, and the barge turned back around. And the remaining men, one at a time, got into that large barrel. They made the barrel cross. And the rest of those men made it safely to the dock. The rain is coming down. The skies are dark. The waves are pummeling. The barge is just floundering out there. And those men who made it safely to the dock, they huddled around the captain, those fishermen who helped bravely get them over there. And they said, all made it, but one. The captain said this, he was a good man, but he tried to do it on his own. He was a good man, but he tried to do it on his own. You might be a good person, and as good as you are, and I don't, want to, I don't want to sound derogatory or insulting, but as good as you are, it's not good enough. You can't do it on your own. Salvation is so great because the author of salvation is God himself. Jesus Christ paid the sin debt in full. He rose again from the dead, and this morning with open arms, he compellingly reaches out to you, extends to you the wonderful free gift of eternal life. Faith is simply believing in your heart and praying with your mouth and asking Jesus Christ to be your Savior. As I close, would you look at this last verse, he, Romans 10, 9, that if thou, if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thy heart that God is raised from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, with the mouth, confession is made into salvation. Pastor Fong, what does that mean? It basically means this, that's how you exercise faith. You confess with your mouth. You humble yourself before God and say, God, I repent of my sins, that I'm a sinner, but I believe in my heart, as you said in your word, that Jesus Christ died for me. And today I take Christ to be my Savior so that you can be saved. Today, October 20th, can be your second birthday. Today, October 20th, is the day you can mark that you're born again into the family of God, that heaven became your home, and your name is in God's book of life forever and forever and forever. As a pastor, just like God, I want you to get saved today. I want you to make very certain in your heart that you know before you leave here today that Jesus is your Savior. You say, what is that? does that mean I become a member of the church? No. Does that mean I've, I've got to do something for the church? No. Everything you need to be saved is already made available. All you've got to do is call on the name of the Lord and you'll be saved. Right now, I'm going to give you an opportunity to receive that free gift of eternal life because right where you're seated, just what he says right there, you can pray that prayer. Ask Jesus Christ 
to save you from your sins. Today, you can call on the Lord to make certain that you became a child of God. And you know what's going to be great about that? You and I will be brothers and sisters in Christ. And you and I will have our, the same place in heaven. Listen, the greatest piece of real estate you want to have is a piece of real estate in heaven. And that becomes available to you when you, by faith, accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior.